I have found, to my regret, that the degrees of shame and disgust which I actually feel at my own sins do not at all correspond to what my reason tells me about their comparative gravity. This is Pints with Jack, Season 5, Episode 38, Removing the Dragon Skin, After Hours with Jeremiah Broderick. Good morning, everyone. Pints with Jack is your favourite weekly C.S. Lewis podcast, where Andrew, Matt and I break down and discuss the works of C.S. Lewis. This season, we've been talking about love, slowly and deliberately working our way through The Four Loves, which we finished in March. And this past month has been Ecumenism Month, spending time talking to people who love C.S. Lewis from a diverse range of religious backgrounds, Eastern Orthodoxy, different kinds of Protestantism, Mormonism and Judaism. And although it wasn't really part of Ecumenism Month in the previous episode, Matt interviewed Sister Miriam, a Catholic, but their discussion also ties back to this season's broader discussion about love. And I have a feeling that we're going to have some similarities with today's episode. So here's what happened. A couple of months ago, one of our listeners, Kay, she very thoughtfully sent me a care package, and it included the April edition of a little publication called Guideposts. And on the cover of that magazine was today's guest, and it said, Jeremiah Broderick, how C.S. Lewis helped this veteran rediscover his faith. And after reading it, I found out that he'd also written a book, Removing the Dragon's Skin. And so I think you can guess what happened next. I reached out to him and invited him onto the show. And normally with these kinds of episodes, at this point, I'd usually provide a brief bio for my guest. But really, his story and his discovery of C.S. Lewis and the book that he's written are all tied up together. So I think I'll just simply say, Jeremiah Broderick, welcome to Pints with Jack. Well, thank you very much, David. I appreciate you having me today. No, you're very welcome. How are things going? Things are going well. I'm, I'm Like I said, I'm excited to be here. I'm just now um, familiarizing myself with your podcast since I've been invited. And I just want to start off by saying... Man, what a um, what a treasure trove for Lewis enthusiasts <laughs> to uh, to have this podcast and 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 you and Matt and Andrew. Um, it's been um, it's been fun uh, listening to to you all take a deep dive, obviously, into C.S. Lewis, but also have a lot of fun with it along the way. So I'm excited to play a small part today. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, I am drinking a cup of tea because it's the afternoon and I'm starting to flag. Uh, do you have anything to hand? <laughs> Yes, um, I, today I have a ginger root beer from. Uh, it's a Zevia brand from Sprouts. I, I'm, I'm going to save the pint for later. <laughs> Smart. <laughs> <laughs> well, today we are going to uh, toast a patron supporter, Thomas F. Murray Jr. Thomas, we pray that you remain free from dragon skin, and like Reap Cheap, one day reach Aslan's country. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you for having me. So, as I said in my introduction, normally our interviews are structured a little differently, but because of your background and your story and your book are all interrelated, why don't you just begin by just telling us your story? Oh, for sure. Um, I discovered C.S. Lewis the way that many people discovered C.S. Lewis, and that was through my local school library when I was a young child. And I remember... um, you know, I remember very vividly actually taking a car ride from New Hampshire all the way down to Oklahoma, where um, I lived in New Hampshire before um, I came back to Oklahoma as a small child. And I remember sitting in the, the back seat of my my Mimas car, reading uh, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and just being 
um, just captivated by, um, you know, by, by this myth and by what, you know, the, this whole idea of what Lewis would later call northernness. But I was just captivated by Aslan and the, at the time, you know, the talking beavers. And it was, uh, <laughs> I just remember being, being, you know, glued at a, at an early age um, for most of the series. I went through most of the series as a, as a child, obviously never making any type of connection to the Christian story or, um, um, or, uh, you know, the, the Christ figure of Asland. And, uh, and as I come to find out, I don't want to jump ahead, but, you know, come to find out that's the way that Lewis meant it to be. You know, obviously mm-hmm. he wanted to introduce the idea of, you know, Narnia to, uh, to a child. And, and then maybe later when they, they grow up and they encounter the person of Christ, um, there, there's a vague, uh, familiarity to it to say, Hey, I, I think I've been here before. I think I've, I think this is something I've I've learned about before. So I, I'd like to tell the story of when we were reading The Voyage of the Dawn Treader and Aslan says, mm-hmm. In your world you'll know me by another name and my mother saying, mm-hmm. It's Jesus and I went, No Jesus is a man. Aslan is a lion. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no for sure. I mean what a just uh, there could be a Narnia podcast. There probably is somewhere. But just what there a, is the, the, la- the lamppost listener. They do what we do, but with Narnia. They just go through it chapter okay. by chapter. Well, I'm going to subscribe to that now. So, um, but <laughs> but yeah. So and and then obviously you know I, I left Lewis at that point and and didn't give him a whole lot of other uh, thoughts until later on in life. But um, like I said, after I moved down from New Hampshire, I moved to the state of Oklahoma, and I just love my state. I love my area of the country. Great people, um, but it is really easy, and and I go into detail about this in the book, um, it's really easy to, um, as far as our brand of Christianity, and I, I'm using my words, you're using my words carefully, because obviously you can't paint, you know, everyone with the same brush. Um, mm-hmm. But it, it just, just the kind of brand of Christianity I ended up falling into, um, by no fault of really anybody, it was just kind of in the culture and really in the atmosphere, you know, was just a very moralistic version of of christianity um one that just places high value on 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 morals and that's not a bad thing obviously it's a great thing to have good strong morals <laughs> but uh intertwining that with your your christian faith um you know the the idea of you know when i do really well god is really really proud of me and i'm i'm doing good and i'm 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 fitting a good christian box and when i do bad you know god is less proud of me and 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 um and i feel his love a little bit less and i'm a little bit less on on the spiritual totem pole and just really tying this whole um you know the whole system of morality to the christian faith it almost turns your christian walk into a skill really i mean moral behavior is a is a moral behavior is a skill when you think about it some people just like a sport some people are better born better at, um, at, at the particular skill. Some people have to work really hard at it, but, um, the, the, the detrimental part of turning Christianity into a skill and, and boiling everything down to how well you behave, what you do and what you don't do, you know, the, 
when you learn that you're not very skilled at something, what does someone normally do? They normally just walk away, right? Yeah. If something's hard, quit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and I was convinced by at a very early age that I am just not very good at the skill of Christianity. Um, I could go into multiple examples, and I, I go into some in the book. Um, but I, I just realized that I couldn't hang in that culture. And it, it very, it very much was a cultural, a cultural thing. And, and, um, I just, I, I didn't fit in. And every time I messed up, I was reminded all the reasons why I didn't fit in. And, um, I liken it to, and I, I do give this example in the book and I'll be quick with this, but I liken it to, um, a, a basketball coach or, or a football coach that, uh, if you're, uh, you know, if, you, if you're the first string on on a on a on a middle school sports team or high school sports team, if you're the first string player, you're you're, you're treated fairly well, and um, your you know your coach knows what side his 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 bread is buttered. And um, at least in my experience, I'm sure this isn't the experience across the board, but um, in my experience, trying to play basketball in middle school, is something I was very um, excited about, but quickly found out that I'm not very good at, and, which is okay. <laughs> um, um, I, you know, I was a third stringer for, for, uh, most of the game. And, and, but, you know, you start to notice how the coach responds to his first string based mm-hmm. on it, it. And, and you compare that to how he responds to the, the third string anyways. Oh no, no, this analogy really works for me. I was, I was the kid that was very rarely on most of the mainstream sports teams. Uh, I I once was uh, drafted onto a school game to play rugby. Somebody threw the ball towards me and I just ducked. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, keep that ball away from me. (laughs) Well, if you catch it, people try and hurt you. No, it's like, I'm the last person on the field that wants to touch that ball right now. (laughs) Mm -hmm. No, I get it. Yeah. I, yeah, I remember, um, I think I even said this in the book, just in the middle of the court, just planting on my face out of nowhere. I tripped on my shoelaces or something and, And, uh, the, the coach pulled me out because I was obviously embarrassed and I was laughing about it and he pulled me out and, and I'm pretty sure that was my last game. I was like, basketball is not for me and that's okay. It's good to figure that out young, <laughs> but, uh, anyways, but, um, you know, but you, you know, your place. And so I, I very, somewhere along the lines, I, you know, I took the skill of Christianity and just convinced myself that I was a third string player on God's team, um, as cheesy as that might sound, is it was a reality that I thought, you know, if the Bible is to be, to be believed and the Scripture is to to be believed, um, I know God loves me, but um, I didn't I didn't think He was much of a much of a fan of me. I was kind of the the loser <laughs> Christian kid who just couldn't get things right. And I think I think Donald Miller Miller said this, and I want to attribute it to him. But I think I think it was him that it's like I, I know God's always loved me, but I've always wanted Him to like me too. And, um, just, a just a, you know, powerful, but true um, sentiment that a lot of people have. So anyways, I was, uh, you know, I, 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 I walked away from Christianity, um, for uh, a very long time and, and I joined the, the military and that's a little bit of what guidepost wanted to cover. Um, you know, joined the Marine Corps and I did eight years and just, it's not that I didn't want to you know, follow Christ. And it's not that I didn't want to be a part of that world. I just didn't think I was cut out for it. Again, it was a skill in my mind and one that I wasn't particularly very good at. And to get to the, get to the Lewis portion of it, um, you know, I was reintroduced to Lewis 
um, at, at some point in, in my military career. And um, it was the quote that you started the podcast on. And it's a, it's, it's a great quote. It's not a, it's not one of his more, um, you know, famous quotes and you don't really see it on a, on a coffee mug or, or anything like that. But uh, whenever I see a Lewis quotation, I'll try and work out where's that from if it's not attributed. And, and when I first mm-hmm. heard that in, I think it was in one, a video that you had done, I thought, wait, where is that? I don't remember that. But yeah, no, it's from Letters to Malcolm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, letter, letter 18. I, I believe, but, um, but that is good. It is good as, uh, uh, was it, um, oh, who was your guest? William O'Flaherty, o- 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 the gentleman's mm-hmm. name, O'Flaherty. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, man, I, I purchased that book and I was scared reading the whole thing. It's <laughs> like, please, please don't tell me I've quoted <laughs> any of these. So it is always good to check the source. And I, I have in the book, by the way. So yeah. Um, <laughs> anyway, sorry, I, I distracted you. So you, you heard that quotation no, no, from no, Lester you're good. Yeah, for sure. And, and so obviously what, what I had, um, what I had was a, it was an emotional problem, but it was also an intellectual problem. And one of my favorite things about, about Lewis is he obviously is great at stimulating the intellect. We all, we all know that, but, Often at the same time and often, you know, in, in the same piece of writing, he's, he's wonderful at stimulating the emotion as well. And, um, just, just once, once he's convinced you, or once you've been convinced of, of a truism that you always knew to be true, but you needed someone else to point it out to you for it to, to, to really sink in, it, it does move from your head into your heart. And so, um, yeah, I, I discovered that quote. Um, I'll, I'll revisit it real quick. It says, I have found to my regret that the degrees and shame and disgust with which I actually feel at my own sins do not at all correspond to what my reason tells me about their comparative gravity. Our emotional reactions to our own behavior are of limited ethical significance. And, uh, and I started thinking, it's like, man, is that so my sins, my, 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 my screw ups, my shortcomings, everything that I thought was keeping me out of reach of the love of God. That's a very emotional issue. And I'm responding to that very emotionally. I'm, I'm giving up, I'm quitting. I'm saying I can't hang. But what he was saying in, in that quote is our emotional reactions. Um, they, they're, they're of limited ethical significance. It doesn't actually paint the picture of what is really going on. You know, we're, we're living in this, you know, what he would describe, you know, as, as the shadow lands, this cloudy, you know, half truths, uh, you know, arena where we're just not seeing the full picture. And we can also often be swayed by our emotions and follow our emotions instead of following what our intellect says to be true and says about God. And so anyways, long, long story short, I, I started revisiting Lewis. I knew that he was the the author of Narnia and I, you know, you kind of think that Narnia was kind of an offshoot. That was something he did on the side, but it very much is incorporated into all of his theology and all of his Mm -hmm. philosophy. And, uh, and so I, I did a, I did a deep dive and, um, it was, um, 
it was great. I loved it. Um, it I spent what I, what I write in the book, I write in the book three years. It was probably a little bit more than that and not as clean as just a three year journey. It was, it was off and on hit or miss. Um, but I, I devoted most of my, my reading, my, my extra, uh, curricular reading to, uh, to C.S. Lewis. And, and obviously, you know, I visited, you know, all of his signature classics and, you know, revisited Narnia and, um, and, um, but then also, uh, you know, dove into, you know, his, his letters and his essays and, and really, and, and I think most C.S. Lewis enthusiasts might agree that some of his most powerful works were some of, you know, something that he probably didn't give more than five minutes thought of when he wrote it down, either a personal letter or an essay. And, yeah. um, man, it was just so, so powerful. So I, I attacked it at all different angles. Um, you know, reading and, you know, uh, uh, audible sometimes, but even audible is hard with C.S. Lewis because you wind up having to pause it and, <laughs> and go and writing it down or the, go and picking up the book and trying to find out what he did, where, where he just said that and highlighting it and taking notes. And, uh, but it was, um, but it was great. And, and, you know, the end result was just this constant barrage of shattering th- this, this very, small and elementary view of God. And it was, it was, it was extremely small and it was extremely petty. It doesn't mean it was necessarily wrong. And I think I could have, uh, you know, just, just, just keeping a, a small moralistic view of God, if that's how I related to God. And if I did, did good in that setting and then, then I would have, would have been fine. And, but I just think that there was just like, God was just so much bigger than I was, I was allowing him to be. And it was, it was just so just getting just so caught up in, in the do's and the don'ts and, you know, be, being caught up with, you know, God cares more about what's in your refrigerator than what's in your heart. And, or just, you know, all these little, <laughs> you know, these little, uh, just, just small, just very small. And I, what I say, elementary views of God and, and man, Lewis was just so powerful at just shattering it and expanding it and i in fact he in fact he even says um um some um are you thinking of the i remark about iconoclasm mm-hmm. that we have to mm-hmm. shatter our, our vision of god yeah uh, he said that in a few places well the one that always sticks with me is he wrote it when he was when he wrote in his wife she wasn't his wife then but when mm-hmm. he wrote in his wife's copy of the great divorce he says that there are three images that i must constantly shatter and reform and it's the view of god my neighbor and myself. Oh wow, mm-hmm. that's right. And 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 couldn't we even say that the ability to shatter and regrow our view of God is 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 an ultimate ultimate sign of His presence that He's in our life. And you know, the perfect example. I love the uh, example of of Lucy throwing her arms around Aslan <laughs> and saying, "Aslan, you're bigger." And um, he said, that's because you're older. And she said, not because you're older. He's like, no, every year I must grow older. And I even think he says, uh, forgive me if I'm wrong, but I even I even think he says that word must every year. Um, you, you must let your idea and your, your, your view of God expand. And you're just, you're, you're, you're robbing yourself of the, the beauty and the expansiveness of, of God and God's love for us and God's acceptance of us. And if we're, if we're living a self-loathing life, which I get into this in the book in great detail, um, 
so I don't want to jump ahead, but if we're if we're we're living and operating out of this self-loathing view of ourselves, like I'm never going to measure up, I'm never going to be good enough, I'm just such a failure. That's actually just that's actually pride to the highest degree. We are we are still consumed with ourselves. It it takes on a it takes on a, uh, a facade of you know not pride because it doesn't look like the the versions of pride that we're used to, but it's still a very um, you know, inward looking, self-obsessed person just walking around saying, I'm a nobody. And, and that needs to be let go too. And, um, and, and he was just so good at, at expanding our, um, you know, just expanding my personal worldview. And I always like to, I always like to use the analogy of, um, and this is similar to, I believe, a, a one of Lewis's analogies, but, you know, Lewis was great at, you know, just say I'm in a room and this is the small box of Christianity that I put myself in, you know, this is, these are the boundaries. This is what pleases God. This is what upsets God. This is what you, you know, this is good God pleasing spirituality. Here, here's the box that you fit in. And if you don't fit into that box, then you're not doing things right. And it's so easy for all of us to find that room and close the door behind us and just settle and say, I've found my, my version of, of God pleasing spirituality. This is where I'm going to rest. And Lewis was just great at, at gently and always gently um, opening the door, taking our hands and and showing us some other rooms and saying, suppose God was like this, or suppose God is like this. And, and, um, and it, like I said, it was, it was always gentle. And he just put that, that I was like that word suppose he, he was so good at just putting that, leaving that word in, in your mind saying, suppose God is, is bigger than, than, you know, what you've been convinced that, that God is. And it was a, it was, it was a great journey and it was a, it, it was a very, and I just, I tried to describe it in the book. It was, it was, it was just so healing. And like I said, it was, he was, um, he was definitely stimulating the intellect, but more than anything, it was stimulating the emotions. Once my, once my feelings caught up with my intellect and they, they decided to agree it was a it was a healing journey. In fact, that's kind of how I laid out the book as almost a medical treatment. You know, we have this condition, and and here's the here's the remedies, and here's what to do when it creeps back up. Here's the remedial actions, and and here here's the freedom on the end of it. Just listening to you talk now, and having having read through the book, I could really see how Lewis was perfect for you, uh, as you're describing how you felt about yourself, how you spoke about God. As you describe how you felt about yourself and how you felt about God, I have these little texts that pop into my head from all of his various works that try and shatter that that idea. And I remember reading about one of the early church fathers when he was speaking about one of his brother monks, and he said that he would he would and he he described it all in medical terms as producing the salve from scripture, uh, but in this mm-hmm. case, it's the truth of scripture mediated through an Oxford don. <laughs> no, for sure. And, you know, all of our personalities are different and, and I'm sure God uses different, um, you know, different microphones to speak into our different lives. And for whatever reason it was for me, it was Lewis as it was for, for so many people who've encountered him. And, um, that's not the only way that God could have got my attention, but it was, it was a potent way. And, um, and I, I just credit so much of, so much of the freedom I enjoy, and it really is a freedom, um, just free freedom to, to not really overthink. And that's, that's, um, slightly ironic when you're talking about a guy 
like Lewis, but not overthink my failures and not overthink my, uh, my wins and my successes and just, uh, just experience God and enjoy God the way that, that, uh, you know, he wrote, what did he write to, um, his, his friend, uh, it was an Italian friend, uh, Don, Don Giovanni Calabria. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. He, okay. We, we have Lewis's letters. I'm not sure we have the, the original letter, but it very much seems like someone who, uh, you know, was suffering with my condition and just what I call in the book, low spiritual self-esteem, this, this, this loathing of yourself because of your sins and your, and, and your screw ups and your inability to follow, um, the rights and wrongs of, of Christianity. And, uh, Lewis wrote, he said, I think, I think we all sin by needlessly, needlessly disobeying the injunction to rejoice as much as anything else. Humility after the first shock is a cheerful virtue. And that's just a, a perfect example of just almost probably to Lewis was probably just a throwaway line that he put in the letter. Um, but just reminding his friend to, that you're, you're pretty self-absorbed right now with your own piety and with your own, with your own, you know, screw ups. Um, why not, if, if you're so concerned about following all the ins and outs and all the rules of scripture, why not also follow the injunction to rejoice? And again, I say rejoice and cause that's <laughs> a potent command, just like any other command in the Bible and, mm. and what you do discover. And I do discover this in my own life and I'm certainly not the only one, but when you have really embraced an era of humility, which is always a struggle. I'm not saying I always get that right, but when you, when, when you're just, when you're not thinking of yourself all the time, negatively or positively and step into this idea of, of a Christ-like humbleness where you're more concerned with the needs of others, it's a joyful experience and it's, it's a joyful platform to, to rest and to enjoy your, your walk with God and enjoy your, your, the, this, world that God created us to to be in and to serve others and serve him and delight in. I had coffee with my pastor yesterday and he told me that this Lent he's going to really try and focus on joy. And of course I did what I always do. I quoted C.S. Lewis. I said joy is the serious <laughs> business of heaven. There you go. <laughs> yeah. My my son is always and I, I used a few examples of my boy in the book, but um he's you know one thing that God really did for me by giving me a son. And that was another way that he shattered this image of, of him that I, that I had in my head, this, this small petty view of him, um, was giving me a son. And, and, and can you imagine if, if, if my son was never joyful, if my son was always concerned about serving his dad and making, making sure he's not doing anything wrong or not angering his dad and, and eventually I'd, I'd, I'd sit him down and, and say, son, it's like, well, I, I want you to smile every once in a while too. enjoy this life, <laughs> everything I'm providing you, just enjoy it. It's like, that brings me joy to see him joyful. And, um, but for some reason we, we, we take away that, that fatherly, um, angle from God and, and just assume that he's just upset with us constantly because of our failures. And, and, uh, every once in a while we just want to step back and, and say, you know, we have a, a heavenly Father who loves us more than more than we can ever imagine. Why why don't we uh, why don't we enjoy? Why don't we take advantage of what Christ did on the cross and, and bring a little joy to our lives? And and, um, and and Lewis obviously was a very that's one of my one of my favorite parts about Lewis was, um, you know, obviously everything that he wrote, but but the life and the 
the attitude behind it. And he was a, he, I don't know, he could, I'm looking for a good phrase. He, he was a very, he seemed to be a very happy soul in some situations where he could have been very morose and, and very, uh, very down about, about life. And, um, and, uh, he, he seemed to be able to suck the marrow out of, out of life and, <laughs> and very inspiring. So you go through this journey with Lewis, you have this healing of, of, of all of your preconceptions about yourself and about God. Where did that journey ultimately take you to today? It's a long story, so I'll give you the highlights, but I ultimately <laughs> did decide to start going back to church and, and I found a great church that, that seemed to fit nicely with, with my healing journey. You mean the pastor always quoted C.S. Lewis in his sermons? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Actually, we laugh, but I remember I remember a few weeks in, one of their teaching pastors, uh, this was a church in, in Southern California, one of the teaching pastors did quote C.S. Lewis. And um, I remember it was the, um, the liar, lunatic Lord uh, argument. Mm-hmm. I remember where I was sitting. And uh, I do remember him quoting C.S. Lewis, and that just brought a whole deal of comfort to me that uh, I, I think I found <laughs> the right church. <laughs> These guys are okay. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll stick around. So, yeah, and that that started this this journey of falling back in love with God and um and and just not overthinking my my spiritual battles, and it eventually led to me having a a slight desire to go into ministry. And I say I say slight because um, I, I still, even while I was in ministry, by the way, I was still wondering: is this the right move for me? Is this the right? Um, am I making the right? choices. I, I still think that sometimes, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, I, I ended up getting out of the, the, the Marine Corps after, after eight years and going to seminary. And, um, and I was, uh, you know, still heavily, uh, involved in, in reading Lewis and, um, and, and other people as well, but, you know, uh, definitely keeping a Jack at the front and center of my spiritual rehabilitation. And um, I eventually wound up going to a, uh, I graduated seminary and then I started a doctorate program at Fuller Theological Seminary in uh, mm-hmm. Pasadena. Great program. And uh, they had a class. It was called C.S. Lewis as a Mentor that <laughs> took place in Cambridge and Oxford, where obviously your listeners probably know where Lewis lived and taught. And uh, I was I mean, you couldn't stop me from signing up <laughs> to, to to go to that class, and and it was taught by uh, his name's Professor Robert Banks and his uh, wife Professor Linda Banks. Just a great great couple. Um, they both published on C.S. Lewis in their time, and uh, so I got to. This was towards the end of me wrapping up uh, my uh, going through just about everything Lewis ever wrote. There's there's still some small pieces out there I haven't 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 got to, but. Um, just about everything that Lewis ever wrote, and um, it was uh, it was great. And then I got to go back and kind of serve as an aide and teach a few lectures there uh, at uh, Oxford and Cambridge, along with again Robert and, and Linda Banks. And it was uh, it was a great journey. And what's your ministry today? So today, I <laughs> so today my ministry um, is primarily in the prisons. I, uh, you know, Oklahoma certainly has no shortage of, of prisons to get involved in. And so I get to, to be a part of my church's, 
um, prison uh, ministry efforts. That's basically we plant uh, campuses, uh, church campuses, and prisons all over the the state of Oklahoma. And in fact, I've also been able to, uh, you know, one of the best compliments I get um, was after some of my incarcerated friends got to read my book. Um, I'll get a letter saying there's no C.S. Lewis books in our library. Is there any way that you could get some in our library? And we have, by the way. And I just think that was, uh, (laughs) yeah, just, uh, you you normally don't think of Lewis's, uh, you know, audience as being some, you know, some hardened criminals who want to read Narnia, but they're, (laughs) they're out there. (laughs) And uh, yeah, and they're, they're not hardened criminals. They're, they're great people. I just joke with them. Um, but then, no, that's my that's my ministry. We're in um, several uh, twenty four different uh, prisons around the state of Oklahoma right now. And are you still finishing up the PhD? No, I graduated last summer, last June. Congratulations! <laughs> oh, well, thank you, thank you. It was a, it was it was great to to get that behind me, and um, I enjoyed that program very much. Well, thank you for sharing your story. This was uh, a very long introduction to your book, mm-hmm. but we have alluded to it throughout and we now need to talk about it. So uh, where did the book come from? So the book was sort of an accident. Um, that's, the, that's the funny part is I, I had just written a lot of essays leading up to my class and while I was at Cambridge and Oxford and my professors were kind enough to let uh, me be the focus of the paper, which is is uh, is hard to do in higher academia uh, to to get to write about yourself. Um, but they were gracious enough to let me do it, and I wanted to capture everything that uh, that Lewis had done for me, and um, and and write it in a fairly academic style. And I I, would, I wrote several essays, and I passed a few of them around just to get some some feedback, including to my professors and including to some of my my friends in prison and um, some uh, some friends at church, and uh, I was encouraged to seek publication, and I did. And uh, I was thankful that uh, Whip and Stock uh, decided to publish a book, and I, I I did some alterations and made it a little little less academic in in some areas. And uh, and there you go. I, I'm a, I'm a published author, and I never never thought that that would be the case, but I'm happy that it happened. Uh, it's a beautiful book, fantastic cover. And I really love the title because any any Lewis fan, any Narnian is going to see the cover and know exactly <laughs> where you're going with this. Um, but the the book itself is divided into six parts. Can you just talk us through each of the parts and, and give our listeners some idea of what they'll find in each section? Yeah, for sure. So I broke it down almost into a medication for 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 a wounded soul and um i in fact i kicked around um i've kicked around other titles that that encompass that idea a little bit more but i am happy that i landed on removing the dragon skin because that really is the the whole idea of the book is letting go of control and letting go of this um just just the manhandling of life and our spirituality that we often find ourselves um engaged in and letting um, letting let, letting the the right entity remove um, our our scarred up scaly calloused dragon skin um, just like Eustace in the Voyage of the Dawn Treader. Um, so the first section it is broken up into six sections. Um, no section is particularly long, so I was trying to make it a, a quick read if someone wanted to 
to go through it quickly. Um, the first section is essays on the condition, and that's where pretty much everything that I just described, and I was just letting the reader know of, of the condition of low spiritual self-esteem. And, and it's a very uncomfortable thing to, to write about, about yourself. At least, at least I find it un, uncomfortable. And so I try to write it in a way that was very, very broad where um, the reader could look at it and hopefully recognize themselves in, in my story. And that was, that was the angle I took. And so you know, part one, essays on the condition and what is low spiritual self-esteem and how do how do people develop low spiritual self-esteem, or at least how did I develop it, and um, and just really paint the picture of you know, this, this deplorable condition that made me not want to follow Christ or not think that I, I had the skills uh, needed to follow Christ. Um, throughout the book, too, um, I, I did catch the reader up on some some Lewis sites in Cambridge and Oxford, and <laughs> and I was wanting to um, wanting to describe the different areas of that of Lewis's world for for especially for my American friends who haven't had the pleasure of going over there yet. And so, in the first section, um, besides talking about the condition, I go uh, and visit St Stephen's College in Oxford, which is a school and. Uh, and uh, or a college there in Oxford, and um, the the chapel that I described in that chapter was actually a chapter uh, a chapel that Lewis, his friend, was the clergy there, and, and Lewis would often walk to St Stephen's for for confession, and um, I also try to bring in some Lewis's works into into that space, St Stephen's College. What what could have he have been? What what might may have he been been thinking about, or what? would have been on his mind during the idea of confession, for example. Hmm. Part two, essays on the causes. So there's, there's a condition now we're moving to the causes and uh, what causes um, low spiritual self-esteem. You know, I, I go over really this, this idea of, of our, our, our fear of surrender. And surrender was another heavy theme of Lewis. I believe hmm. um, he, he talked a lot about uh, the idea of surrendering and his fear or his, his, his fear of doing so completely. And, and I, I love Lewis was very, he was very approachable. I, I love that. He's, <laughs> he was very comfortable writing about his own flaws. And um, I think we can all learn about that. And he talks about his, um, his endless reoccurring temptation to, to dabble in the sea that is God, but just dabble, you know, just stick his toes in the water and, and kick around and play in the water, maybe even get in a little bit, but still, still cling to the side of the temporal and, um, and, and, and just be, being afraid of, of, of full surrender. And that definitely is a cause. And I, me personally, I was afraid of fully surrendering to, to, to God because I didn't, I had, a, like I said, I had a very small view of what I would be surrendering to. I didn't want to surrender to to that view of of of, of God, and so it was a that was a cause. And then and then that that section two, I I do talk a lot about the the idea of moralism and how we can be blinded by our own moralism and and our failures carrying much more weight than than they ought to. You, your comments there about surrendering put me in mind of the final chapter of the book that we read this season in The Four Loves. And the analogy that he gives is that of somebody going swimming and they're still trying to keep 
uh, you know, a foot on land or at least a foot on the ground mm. or at least a toe. And he says that, but to surrender would be to submit themselves to a delightful tumble in the surf. <laughs> it's just the, it's oh, just wow. the most attractive yeah. analogy ever. Oh man, that's so beautiful. And, and, and by the way, side note, um, thank you all for doing such a deep dive into the four loves. I enjoy the four loves immensely. And, um, and I can't wait to catch up on, on all the episodes. So <laughs> you're very welcome. Um, and, and also the, another little fun side note, and you probably know this, and I'm sure many of your listeners know this, but the, the four loves audible version or the audiobook version is actually Lewis reading his own words. Mm. And I, I think that might be the only instance we have of Lewis reading there are a few other bits. There's there's a little bit of him talking about pra, as he as he calls it. Uh, there's a little bit of him talking <laughs> about that. And when Douglas Gresham's dad visited the kilns, he actually brought a recorder. And so there's a few passages you can now hear him read. I think one is of Perilandra, and I okay. can't remember what the other one is. But there's a few sketches. But the point is, yes, that it certainly the Four Loves is the only thing that we have the complete set of the radio broadcasts that were recorded here in the states. Okay. Okay. I'll send you a link to the other things. Oh, that that would be great. That I I I do now. I I do think I did come across the one on prayer. That was a was that one of his broadcast talks that mm-hmm. that survived. Okay. Yeah, I I remember reading that. So, um, anyways, back to where was I? You had just finished talking about moralism uh, and about to transition. I think to the next section. So then we, you know, part three. It's essays on the remedies, and this is some of my. This was some of the my, my favorite parts to write about, and that's when we talk a lot about removing the dragon skin and and laying down our our efforts to to manhandle our own spirituality. And of course, I use the the story of Eustace and uh, and when he when he became a dragon via his own greed and inward looking and selfishness and and um, how much he wanted just to take that dragon skin off, and he kept trying and trying. And um, all to no avail until um, just a beautiful scene and Aslan shows up and, uh, you know, he says, uh, basically, uh, you know, are you going to keep trying or are you going to let me me do it? And uh, Eustace was scared, scared of the claws, scared mm-hmm. of what it was going to take. It was very painful. Um, but finally he laid down and surrendered and, uh, and then he, he became, he became Eustace again. And, uh, and just a, a beautiful beautiful analogy of of our our struggle with god and and boy do we ever struggle and it seems it's almost a reoccurring uh a reoccurring struggle that i have to remind myself sometimes i have to remind myself of uh, re-remind myself of the story of eustace and and aslind and and uh say jeremiah are you just going to keep on doing this yourself we read the voyage of the untreader last season and Rereading it, the bit that I had forgotten was just before Aslan starts taking his scales off, because it says that Eustace rolled over to expose his belly. And when I think about the whole removing of the dragon skin, you know, Christ is the one who does it, but there is always this constant invitation that we have to basically make ourselves vulnerable and 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 accept mm-hmm. his constant invitation to undragon us. Oh wow. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I don't believe I, I caught that part because obviously that, po- that posture of rolling over and exposing, exposing your belly is a, is a posture of, 
of surrender. You, you got me. Surrender and humility. And the other, <laughs> other season we did till we have faces. And it's the same thing with Oral. The point that she mm-hmm. sees the palace is when she's on her, uh, when she's getting a drink and she's on her knees. She's in a, she's in a, in a posture of oh, humility mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and she has her face yeah. unveiled. That's when she is able to see clearly. Yeah. Good, good stuff. <laughs> anyway, sorry, I'm distracting you again. Please continue. <laughs> no, 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 you're good. I, 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 I want to stay there with you, by the way. I'm, <laughs> these are, <laughs> these are good distractions. Um, but, uh, yeah, so, uh, part three, you know, essays on the remedies, removing the dragon skin, um, just several essays in there that, that uh, of some of my favorite works of Lewis that, that helped me with this idea of surrender and overthinking and the pride. Um, you know, that's something I get to later on in the book is, is Lewis really exposed, um, how prideful I was. I, I was my, my, like I said, my self-loathing was, was cloaked in, in, in me being a very prideful person. And it's still tempting, obviously, to fall into to that, that role from time to time. And, and just like Lewis said on pride, he said, uh, as long as you realize you're prideful, you're not in danger of, of the worst kinds of pride. Just keep bopping it on the head whenever it sh- rears its ugly face and, and you'll be mm-hmm. okay. There's C.S. Lewis foretelling whack-a-mole. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Lewis whack-a-mole. <laughs> um, and there's there's essay in there called Noticing the Dirt, and it, that was very helpful. And I think most of that was derived from mere Christianity, um, where we talk about um, you're you're in the resistance right now. The the mere fact that you're trying to clean yourself up, and the mere fact that you're trying to to do better and 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 serve God in um, just a more pure way, the mere the mere fact that this is on the forefront of your mind shows you that you are moving in. In, in the right direction. And one of my favorite mere Christianity lines was no one notices how bad they really are until they start trying to be good. It's true. I mean, <laughs> we're, we're recording this just at the start of Lent. And I think this is, you know, cause it's historically a period where people practice prayer, fasting and almsgiving. And on Ash Wednesday, mm-hmm. everybody's thinking, it's like, oh my goodness, I'm going to eat once a day. Uh, I'm going to pray for two hours. I'm going to give 50% of my wages to the poor. And then mm-hmm. Lent begins. And then you discover, I'm kind of hungry. I kind of want to have the hamburger now. I've prayed for five minutes. I mean, God appreciates that. And uh, well, you know, do I really have to give quite so much? It's, it is hilarious yeah. the way we always dupe ourselves into thinking that we can be so, that either that we are better or just oh with a little bit of work i'm sure i'll be superb it's only when we try it we realize how pathetic we really are yeah for sure and, and it's almost instantaneous the the mm. moment you say i'm going to deny myself of this is the moment that that uh it looks so you know, attractive <laughs> was it <laughs> exactly but you know lewis would say that that that's actually a good thing that the struggle is pointing towards a good thing it, it would be it, it, you would be in a much more deplorable state if if you didn't if you didn't notice how bad you really are <laughs> if you didn't notice mm. the, the the deplorable condition within and so it's actually it should be a sign of hope and optimism in our our spiritual walk that we're noticing um, all these you know areas that that still need a little bit of of cleaning up and that's going to be something that we'll be working on for for quite some time the side of uh, <laughs> the side of eternity. But he always offers the advice that you shouldn't dwell on those things, that the the bad things we've done, the failures that we've done, our own weakness, it should simply be enough to recognize, repent, and then turn your turn your face back to the source from which all of your strength will come. 
that that's a, a theme of Lewis's that I I love, and I think it would well serve the church for us to to adopt that. that don't get too caught up in your own failures. Don't get too caught up in your own reoccurring failures. Just you know, the 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 bar is not nearly as high as we like to place it. You know, be found in the resistance. He writes. You know, just mm. just be found in the resistance. For whatever reason, we, you know, we adopt this idea that there's this state of perfection. We would never say this, but our emotions <laughs> uh, imply that we have there's a state of perfection that we're going to to achieve, or we can, you know, we can get this whole Christianity thing down just enough to where one day all of the sin nature is going to be behind us. And Lewis would say, "Hey, that's not going to happen." And and be God's great God's best for you might just be to be found in the resistance. Um, perfect example, and I promise we'll I'll speed up the rest of the book. <laughs> um, perfect example. Uh, I was writing about this the other day, and I, my son uh, gave me permission to to share this. So we have three grades in his school that we're working on. Three grades that we would consider uh, bad grades, and um, he's working. He's doing 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 really good. Uh, in order to clear it up. And uh, I got a report the other day that said he only has two bad grades. And I was celebrating. It's like, you've, you went from three to two. That's perfect. Good job, son. And we were celebrating. And I started thinking from an outsider's perspective, here I am celebrating that my son has two bad grades. And that that wouldn't seem like something to celebrate, but knowing the journey and the effort that he tried, his best was just getting 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 one grade under control, and we'll we'll work on those other two grades later. But now let's celebrate. And um, Lewis would, you know, I think he even wrote, you know, this is in in the strand of being found in the in in the resistance. You know, God's best for you might be just this: the ability to get up and try again. Mm. And he loved McDonald's example of a of a child learning to walk. My son is six months old, so this is in his future. Yeah. And it, it it says that a father is going to be overjoyed at the first you know wobbling steps, but also mm-hmm. uh, he won't be fully happy until it, it's replaced with a manly gait. But the very point, the fact that you that mm-hmm. the, the, the first steps have begun, that uh, that the improvement mm-hmm. has, has 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 begun, and even with Eustace. The the big takeaway mm-hmm. for me with Eustace last time I read was it said that he wasn't a perfect boy at this point, but mm-hmm. the cure had taken it had begun, and mm-hmm. it, and it was now mm-hmm. just a question of working that out in his life. For sure, per- perfect example. Both of those you're uh, you're, you're you're found in the resistance. You know, um, also that God's God might be if if you're you know if you're an alcoholic. And you go one day without a drink, that might just delight your heavenly Father ten times more than a person who went their whole life without ever touching a drink. <laughs> and um, and that's uh, you know it, that's what Lewis would say is like God's best for you is just to be be found. the The only thing that's fatal is just sitting down and, and planting the flag. And I'm misquoting him right now, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> the only thing fatal is to give up and saying this yeah. is this is this is it. I'm I'm done trying. So. And then I, I wrap. I start wrapping up the second half of the book. Um, you know, essays on preventative maintenance, just how to how to keep it going. And um, uh, you know, there's a chapter in there that's that's, that's one of my favorites, probably. Um, talk. Uh, it's called "Friendship Is Unnecessary," and uh, we get to go to the Eagle and Child, 
where Lewis <laughs> just enjoyed his friends and he enjoyed his relationships. And he, um, that's one of the things I, I love about Lewis the most was how, how much value he placed in having good friends around him and, and good positive community. And, and I think he even wrote, uh, he, he wrote to a, um, was it a student? It might've been a, a letter, but, or he said to a student, he said, if he gave advice to any, any yeah, you know, it's younger letter. person, there you go. Yeah. Uh, if he, if he was to give advice to a younger person is sacrifice everything to live close to your friends. I love that because it's so <laughs> practical and so true. And, um, it's not, you know, it's not necessarily the most spiritual thing he ever wrote, but it's just, it's, this is how, this is a step towards happiness, be around positive friends. And, and he loved it. His, um, you know, one of the first things you read, I think it's still there probably when you, when you go into the Eagle and child child is one of Lewis's quotes, um, that his favorite times are just, you know, putting up an old, old pubs, wearing old clothes and drinking <laughs> beer and talking poetry or, or talking nonsense, poetry, metaphysics, um, theology with his friends is there any greater sound in this world than male laughter so um <laughs> man that, that that that's helpful friendship uh and uh i talked a little bit about the inner ring which uh side note I, I would say that the inner ring probably the way the glory are together um but but the inner ring has pro- probably helped me out more practically not that not that my my spiritual journey wasn't practical but just practically in my life the essay the inner ring any listener that might be listening, if you haven't encountered the inner ring, that's one of my one of my favorite practical um, essays that he ever wrote about kind of our motivations uh, in in life and and what we're achieving and what we're working for. So I I, I touch on that a little bit in that section, and then uh, I have two other sections: essays on remedial action, and that's I I, I do deal with the topic of trying again um, a lot, and, and thickening is a process. Um, the whole idea of misguided attempts at redemption is is very helpful to know that we're all just shooting at taking our best shots at redeeming ourselves. You know, you know all the sin in the world and all the all the mistakes in this world. Uh, Lewis would say is is we're trying to redeem ourselves. We've been cut off. We've 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 messed up. We've been cut off from our redeeming Savior. We've been cut off from perfection. Uh, we've been cut off from an undying world and we all know it and we're all trying to redeem ourselves. And and that's what you can, most of the mistakes that we have in our lives, it, for whatever reason, I found a great deal of comfort to know that um, it's not me being bad just because I'm bad. I'm, I'm, you know, there's, there, there's a redemption process and I'm unfortunately trying to redeem myself through, through <laughs> wrong channels of redemption. And uh, in that one, we go into University Church of St. Mary the Virgin, where he gave the, you know, he, he attended there often for, for many events, but that's also where he gave the uh, the Weight of Glory sermon, which is a, obviously a very potent and powerful sermon. And then at the end, essays on, on freedom. And um, I, I think, you know, Lewis's relationship with Christ, um, it, it gave him a, a great deal of, of joy and freedom. And I, I think... He he had this line. I, I believe it was in the context of his apologetics writing, but I I apply it to to just my walk with with God in general. It's like it, you can't always be defending the truth. Eventually, you have to feed off of it. Mm. And um, man, I if if that is not a Lewis quote, I want to publicly <laughs> apologize. <laughs> so I should I should have researched that, but I'm sure. Uh, um, um, 
I'm, I'm, I'm sure I'll find out if it's not, but you know, just, just, you know, at some point you have to enjoy all of this that we're working for and that we're striving for and that we're talking about and we're trying to convince ourselves of, and we're trying to convince ourselves uh, of, we're trying to convince others of, you know, eventually um, you have to, you have to enjoy it yourself. And, um, and, and like we've been saying, not get to, so caught up in, in the minutia of, what I'm doing right and what I'm doing wrong, just delight. That's another word I think comes up. Another theme of, of Lewis's is, and we are created to be delightful beings and we are created to be delightful in our relationship with, with, with our father. And um, man, we're just, if, if we're not delighting with God along the way, we're getting such a small and petty version of what God created us to, to experience. And so we, um, you know, I get into, uh, you know, Addison's walk and, and I was able that the Lewis company was uh, kind enough to let me publish uh, the poem, What the Bird Said, hmm. a beautiful poem that um, that has has a lot to do with, uh, um, you know, leaving the uh, the Shadowlands behind and, and delighting into what we were really created to be sustained by. And um, and we go into Lewis's office in Cambridge, and uh, finally the book wraps up at a Holy Trinity Church in Headington Quarry, where uh, not only did Lewis attend church, and that's also the, as uh, your listeners probably know, this is his gravesite. An emotional journey that uh, that that I went on on with Lewis, and, and I get emotional often talking about it and I'm not that emotional of a guy, but for some reason, man, he just, he knows how to, how, how to, how to pluck those, uh, those heartstrings. Um, it was, a it, it was a beautiful experience and, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm very thankful to, uh, to have discovered Lewis and, and the journey doesn't, hasn't ended yet. Uh, there's so much more to dive into and, um, yeah. Some might even say we can still go further up and further in. <laughs> Jeremiah Baldrick, thank you so much for coming on the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me, David. Well, I hear the call for final drinks. So to wrap things up, where can people go to find out more about you and pick up a copy of your book, Removing the Dragon Skin? So the book is on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Christian Book. Um, you can, you know, my my publisher's website, Whip and Stock, um, anywhere where the I like to say the discerning book enthusiast finds their books. You should be able to order a copy of Removing the Dragon Skin. And um, if you want to connect with me personally, I'm on all the socials and Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. I don't use it often, but I'm on there occasionally. And um, that's another way you can connect with me. I have um, I have a I have a, a website or a blog that I, I update at least annually <laughs> uh, at least at least once a year i might i might post something but uh there's some links to the book on there too and um i have a lecture or two on on youtube as well uh, a c.s lewis uh lecture that that was on youtube you just type in my name and it should come up and i'll have links to all of those things in the show notes and on pintsforjack.com thanks again to jeremiah for coming on the show and thanks to all of our listeners patron supporters and particularly our top tier supporters Emmy, Thomas, Deborah, Anonymous, Bill, Joanna, Snort, Bud, Shane, John, Kevin, Brian, Kay, Paul, Kimberly, Gillis, Gary, Stephen, Matt, Kelly, Chris, John, James, Kate, Peter, David, and Rowdy. If you've enjoyed this episode, please share it on social media. And please join us next time when Matt will be interviewing Dr. Crystal Hurd about her book, The Leadership of C.S. Lewis, when we'll be going further up and further in. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs>